fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and Al Warren. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. And Mr. David Martino, Karate Boy, is here. I am here. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Are you waxing on or waxing off today? Uh, both. <laughs> Just not at the same time. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. I don't, well, you're the pro. I'm not. Yeah. You're the pro. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been really getting tired of these. Uh, have you been seeing all these zero-calorie, like these uh, sodas? They're all flavored sodas. Mm-hmm. You know, diet pops are getting, they're harder to find because, I don't know. You know, the really, COVID and shipping and different stuff. And oh, okay. They're making yeah, regular yeah. pop, and then of course all the soda places are putting these out. And it's it's I don't get much flavor out of any of them. No, I don't get it. You know, some yeah, of them I've... sound like they're going to be great, and then you go taste it, and it's like water, and it's like it, I don't know, it tastes like an old pop that's been this sitting there. <laughs> you might as well uh, drink bubbly water. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's what now. I'm drinking. Well, yeah. I've, but, I've but switched you, from soda to uh, to water. But you put whiskey in it. That's later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't want water in my whiskey. Oh, no water Diluted? back or whatever they call that. Yeah, water back. You do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. a little little water. A couple drops. A little water. Well, you better get your whiskey out because we've got... Um, All right. We've got a thriller speculative author here he's going to scare you he's going to have you on the edge of your seat absolutely you're going to be shaking so you get that whiskey going <laughs> anyway um so we've got um an all-around author he's written a couple of different uh, categories here but we're going to talk to him well about everything so uh mr michael paul kozlowski thank you for being here thank you very much for having me well so where did it all start for you when did you start feeling this way <laughs> Well, uh, I, I always was interested in, in writing and stories, but um, I never thought it was possible. Uh, you know, everyone, to me, it felt like people um, wanting to be a sports player or a rock star. Everyone was like, come on, what's the chances of being an author? Uh, you know, focus on your education, get a, get a normal nine to five, and, and that'll be the end of it. So I was like, okay. I, I went to school for... Um, teaching. I became a, a high school English teacher. And I did that for about three years. And it started weighing on me. I, I didn't feel I was a great teacher. Um, I, I don't have that disposition. I don't have the, uh, I'm not a disciplinarian and I'm a bit too loose. So, so you know, uh, I, I think I, I motivated the kids, but it was a, a little too chaotic for me. So I thought I was doing them a disservice. I thought I was doing myself a disservice. And if I decided I was going to write when I retired, I, I just would never be fulfilled. So I said, you know what? Uh, my father passed. Uh, he left me a little bit of money. And I said, 
I'm going to honor him by taking this money. I'm going to quit teaching and I'm going to try writing until I burn up this money living in New York City and I'll see where I am. If, if, I, if nothing happens, I'll go back to teaching. So I did that for a few years. I was pumping out all different types of books, very abstract, very, uh, you know, dense uh, thousand page novels, which of course weren't going to get published. And I was running out of time. And my wife uh, said, why don't you try something that's a little more accessible? And I said, okay. Uh, uh, I went to the movies. I saw the movie uh, Coraline. I don't know if you remember that one. And I said, I could do something like that. I could do something like that. So I started writing a children's book and I finished it. Uh, it was called Juniper Berry. And it's like a horror, uh, uh, a horror novel for about middle school, uh, junior high school kids. And I finished it. And that week, uh, I got a check in the mail from my account, closing out my account. It was my last $14. And uh, the next week, I signed with an agent. And uh, two weeks after that, I sold it, uh, Juniper Berry for a two-book deal. And I've been uh, writing ever since. Wow. So that, um, you know, that was pretty risky. It's pretty courageous, actually. Um, because New York is expensive, so we even a little bit of money, it doesn't take long <laughs> to be gone. I mean, That's New true. York, That's come true. on. Um, and not only that, um, so to do kind of a, 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 a kid's book, in a sense, is risky too, right? Sure. Um, well, you know, I was naive. I, um, you know, I didn't go to college for this. You know, I, I went for education. So I wasn't sure what the right avenue was and, and what was accessible and what wasn't and what was, uh, marketable and what wasn't. So it, it was a risk to me, but, uh, I wasn't as aware of the risk as I am now. Well, it's a bit late now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so I, yeah, I find it interesting. So under, under MP Kozlowski, you do, uh, these Juniper Berry and stuff like that. And then you've changed to a fuller name of using your Michael Paul rather than MP now for this um, new book. Is there a particular reason you did that? Sure. I just wanted to differentiate, differentiate between my children's books and uh, my adult books. So the newest novel, Scarecrow Has a Gun, is, is just very adult. So I didn't want, um, you know, the kids picking up that and thinking that it's like my other books. And so uh, when I continue to write adult novels, they'll be under the Michael Polk's low skin when I continue to write the young adult and the middle grade novels, they'll be under MP Kosowski. Uh, originally, I did MP. Uh, I just thought it had a, uh, a better ring to it, which then I, always, of course, ended up regretting. I said I should have just went with my uh, full name. But, um, but now I think it's a good way to differentiate the two. You know, I'm wondering um, if there was a moment when uh, you, you discovered or thought uh, you came to realization that writing was possible, I, you know, as, as a career, I know um, I didn't think it was possible either until um, a friend of mine actually got a book deal. And then I was like, wow, somebody can actually do this. I had never met, you know, somebody who actually had a, had a book deal and wrote uh, for a living or anything like that. So I'm just wondering, did you have a moment like that? Well, I didn't know anybody who, who published anything. Um, um, and, you know, my, my circle was pretty small. I, I, I grew up on Long Island, so now I was in Manhattan. 
and uh, I don't I didn't really know anybody. So I was just trying to uh, pump this out myself, and I really didn't know if it was going to work out. And uh, like I said, I, I, I was pretty naive, but I heard stories. I I, I saw what was, was getting published, and I knew I had talent, and I knew I, I could at least do what a lot of these people were doing. Um, but there was nobody whose uh, path I was following uh, the record now. So what made you go into the speculative fiction kind of thriller style uh, from the young adult? Sure. Well, uh, the I love speculative uh, fiction. I love uh, adult literary works. That that was what I started writing when I when I first set out, and I happened to fall into the children's books. But th- this is where my real passion is. And I, I have a, a few other books up my sleeve uh, that, that I either, either finished recently or am finishing. And I feel like it, it's a better expression of who I am and the way I think. It's very existential. It's, it's, it's philosophical. It's, it zeroes in on the minutia of life, the, 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 the gritty details. And I'm a pretty dark person. And, and I feel like that's where I express myself best. Whereas with, with the children's books, you want to be, you don't want to go too dark with them. Although my, my children's books are dark, um, but uh, uh, not as gritty, I would say. So you don't want to scare the kids as much as the adults. <laughs> that's right. Well, yes, uh, it, <laughs> I definitely scare them both just in different ways. Wow. So how do you how do you decide like it, so here you are. Here's here's is Michael sitting at home there in New York and and he's broke and he's going to write uh this uh this book, this speculative fiction. How does it start for you? Like how does the, does it start with the character? Does it start with the idea, the story? Uh something happened to you or something you saw made you thought, think, well, what what if that happened and like where 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 does it all start in that mind for this book in particular or for well anything? actually for any book or if if it's similar but if, if it's different then we'll talk about that but in this book in particular because it's your new one the scarecrow has a gun what sure. was what was going on there yeah there's definitely always a, has to be a jumping uh point that's something that just sparks it in me and for this book uh funnily enough i was trying to write a memoir about my childhood which uh, you know, there, there was some tragedy uh, in my childhood, and I, I, it was very important to me to get them. It was my family story. So I started writing that. And to do that, I had to interview all my brothers and my mother and everyone and, and get their stories. So what I realized once I started comparing notes is that we all had different memories about this, the same events. We, we were coming at it from completely different perspectives. And I said, no, wait, I thought you weren't there for that. And well, I thought this didn't happen, but this happened. And it was all different. So it started me thinking about memory a lot, which Scarecrow Has a Gun is, is mostly about. It's about uh, memory and, and the pitfalls of it uh, and how our lives aren't what we really think they are. So I'm writing the memoir and I can't get this thought out of my head that that basically our lives should come with a tagline based on a true story that that we live different lives than than what we remember and i said i need to get this down so i I set the memoir aside and i started writing this novel uh about a man who who gets a box that can replay every memory he's ever had and it plays them in random order and he starts watching these memories 
and they're not lining up with what he thought he remembered. And he starts wondering if it's being manipulated, if, if, if it's if it's faked, if um, he starts questioning everything, because that's how I felt at that time. Wow. Uh, so, so how much of of yourself do you have to put into this when you do something like that? Um, but, but because you're kind of going with a lot of your own memories or how your memory works and and things from from your own life. Um, how far do you would you go um, in a book like this? I yeah, I, my uh, personal uh, views, experiences—they're all over this book. They're not uh directly translated into the novel there's pieces of me everywhere and and uh inspiration and jumping off points um i believe that every writer is somewhere inside of every character no matter how different no matter how nice or how evil uh we're, we're in every single character and so a lot of these memories they're not direct memories of things i've experienced but the essence of them and what I was struggling with, that's all in there. So it, it's definitely a microcosm of what was going on inside my head at that time. So um, your main character, Sean, how do you experience that character and how did you come up with that character? Well, uh, I needed a character. I knew I knew I wanted to get across the issues of memory and how reliable it is and how uh how we manipulated ourselves and molded to what we want to believe instead of what really happened. And I said, I need a character who would have greater motivation to sit through this, to sit through these memories and sift through it with a larger meaning. So what we discover about Sean is that uh, when he was younger, he, he, he was uh, married at a, at a young age and his wife was killed right before his eyes. And the problem was that sometime in the middle of that conflict, he was hit over the head and he suffered retrograde amnesia. And so he can't remember what happened to her, who killed her, why he couldn't save her. And this is what troubles him, this big blank spot, because he wants to find the killer. He wants to, to know the details of what happened. Um, and so now, whenever he's looking at this memory box, he's waiting for this memory to reappear, reappear. And that terrifies him more than anything. And so I use that as the device to keep him going, uh, reliving his memories. So that, that, that's where his character came from. Well, how was it writing about the death of a spouse? I've done that a couple of times, and I tend to get a little like superstitious about it and maybe feel like I hold mm -hmm. back a bit. Uh, what was your experience? Oh, yeah. Be, my wife's always like, are, are, are people going to think that, that you want me dead? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. I go, no, no, no. And that's what you have to say. Well, this isn't you. Uh, you know, th th that character's not me. Although there are parts of me and there's parts of her in these characters, they're not directly related. Um, you know, I realized that when I write, there has to be no holds barred. Um, I, I, I get to be very, uh, I, t I tend to be very graphic. I tend to be, um, I want the truth out there as as blazingly hot as possible. So I, I can't allow myself to have restrictions in any way uh, about, you know, the sensitivities of others or or what people are going to think or how they're going to read into it. If, if, if it's what I really feel, 
it, and if it serves the story, I, I have to put it in there. So you're not censoring yourself in any way? You're not worried about any political correctness or anything? I don't censor myself in any way, but I, I uh, would be lying if I said I'm not worried about, uh, you know, um, people uh, reading into things that aren't there and, and, and trying to find a problem when there isn't. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people are sensitive to that nowadays, and uh, uh, it's it's pretty much unavoidable. But I can't write with that that monkey on my back, uh, uh, constantly concerned with what they're going to think. Although, you know, once it's been written, when I'm done, and I say, oh, what what if somebody gets offended by this, or what if somebody has a problem with that, and you know, I deal with it afterwards. So, what is your your kind of um process here so do you set aside time every day and and sit down and write like kind of you know five hours a day five days a week and all this or do you have to kind of wait till the feeling hits you or kind of where where does it go for you and how do you create when i first started i was a you know inspiration uh when when it strikes that's that's when i would write and so uh you know sometimes i wouldn't start writing at till at, late at night and then i'd write into the morning and you know, I had a crazy schedule and, and just whenever it fit. But then once you get married, you have kids, you go, OK, I have to start being structured now. So in the beginning, uh, you know, I would work uh, from home. Obviously, my, my, my wife would go out to work and I would have the kids at home and I'd only be able to write during their nap times. So I'm stressing and I go, OK, you have to be inspired now. You have to get you have an hour and a half to get this in. And then. um then they would go off to school and I would write while they're at school. Um, and then uh, when they're home, then it's family time. And now during the summers, my whole summer is lost. There's no way I could write with the kids in the house because I do need deep focus and deep concentration. And there's just too chaos, too much chaos. So I tend to take off in the summers and then uh, my kids uh, start school again tomorrow. So I plan to get back behind the keyboard tomorrow and uh, I'll write from the minute they leave until the minute they get back. And do you actually um, experience your characters um, like a movie or like a sound, or do you hear voices? Like, when, kind of where does it go for you? Or are you more of a in charge and you kind of create everything and put it down? Well, it's funny. A lot of people describe my um, my books as, as being very cinematic. Um, and I think that's the influence that, that movies had on me as, as a kid that, I, I originally wanted to be a, a, a film writer and director. That that was my original passion. And I think that transferred into my books that I see it as I'm writing as a movie. Uh, so it, it, it's very cinematic. I, if I could film uh, my books, I, I could do it easily because it's all there in my head. Well, where do you see yourself going now? Like you plan on following this sort of um speculative fiction sort of world uh yes i definitely have a um a, uh, a follow-up book in the works that that's uh, a similar type of speculative uh fiction where um it's about a man uh infiltrating uh cults of technology um but it, it's it's more satirical so he uh um, infiltrates a, a group of um, people that are obsessed with arcade machines, especially one in particular that they believe is killing people. 
Uh, another one where they think a, a, a karaoke machine has become sentient. Another one with uh, uh, people worshiping sex robots. And so it, it, it's basically uh, me trying to say uh, how we got here today, this cult-like mentality. So it, it, it's not as much of a, a thriller as it, as it is a, a, a satire. So, But it, it's in that speculative bent. So, um, yeah, that's that's probably what's coming next. Although my children's books uh, are speculative as well. I'm, I'm currently... Uh, shopping around a a uh poltergeist type story um uh for for a young adult book so i'm I'm going back and forth would you say that your speculative fiction is kind of multi-genre definitely well definitely mixed definitely the the children's books um the adult books i would say if i had to classify them they they would be speculative uh, adult literary fiction um, whereas the kids' books, uh, they're speculative, but, uh, I have, some are fantasy, some are science fiction, some are paranormal, uh, so those are all over the place. It's interesting. Do you, do you find that mixing genre, does that, does that make it more difficult, uh, to publish, you know, to get those books in print, uh, like for the children's books? I think it is. I think everyone wants to put authors in a box and I never wanted to be that type of author, author who could only write one thing and and you know every every book cover looks similar and you kind of know exactly what you're going to get um I, I like to jump all over the place and and I have a lot of interest so I always want to write about what's interesting me at, at that moment I almost think when you're talking about memory and and the failing memory or the way people remember things different and and what we do to manipulate our own memory and also what happens to our memory you know organically maybe mm-hmm. um when when you're doing all that is it is that sort of a point that you want people to take away from this book Def- definitely um it's basically like um the philosopher John Locke said uh, that there's two people inside of us. There are people who perform an act and there are people, uh, the person who remembers the act, because those are completely different things that uh, you and I could have gone to a uh, concert in the past. And if you don't remember that concert at all, um, it's almost as if saying, were you even there? If I was moved by that concert and had to a, a, a tremendous effect on the rest of my life. I always think back on it. It clearly affected me. I was there. But if you were there, weren't moved, totally forgot about it, we could say you were never even there um, if you have no memory of it. it it's kind of like um, uh, also with, with think about when you're driving or washing dishes, uh, showering, we, we almost enter this animal-like state of just simply ex- uh, existing uh uh, reflexively and instinctually that sometimes you finish an act and you go, I don't remember anything that happened. I don't, uh, I don't know how, how I got to the end of this because your mind is somewhere else. And, you know, there was, um, an interesting case that, uh, in 1987, a a Canadian man killed his, uh, mother-in-law while he was sleepwalking. He, he, he bludgeoned her with the tire iron and, he ended up being acquitted because the judge uh, deemed him to be a different person when he was awake than when he was sleepwalking. And if we were to punish him, which uh, 
if you put him in prison, you know, part of the goal of prison is, is, is justice. And then the other two are, are, it's a deterrent and it's a rehabilitation. But if he has no memory of doing this, uh, and, and when he's awake, he's a good person and means well and wants to do good things. How is he being rehabilitated? How is he learning his lesson if he doesn't even remember doing it? So there's, there's all these complications with memory is about, you know, does it make us who we are? And, uh, these are all things that I'm grappling with. Interesting. Did, did you find writing this book helped you with um, your traumatic memories of the past? You know, uh, I, I think it did. Um, and I think the almost the entire message of the book is basically saying we, we can't trust our past. It, what it teaches me is that all we can really believe in, because we don't know what's going to come in the future, is, is the present, the, the immediate present. And we have to soak that up and enjoy that moment because the past is, is fiction. Our, 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 who we are are fiction. The only thing that is true is in the moment. And uh, I, think, I think that's what I took from the book. And I think uh, that's what other people hopefully will take from the book. So after this interview, will we exist? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. No. Well, you know, I, I think we'll all have different versions of how this uh interview went and that's it, it's it's kind of like rewriting history um even history books i think uh th there are facts in there but w once you start uh going into details about those facts everything changes and and people could have different interpretations and and different memories about these events and it it, it changes history so uh you'll go on and you'll have one type of uh, history and I'll have another and, and uh, you, you try to make the best with it. Wow. So how do we know what really happened anywhere? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's the great struggle. And, and once you realize that, then you go, you know what, why worry about it? I'm going to live in the moment and, and enjoy this moment because this is what's real. This is what's true. Okay. Well, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for, for example, in, in the book, uh, Sean comes across a memory of when uh, his son was born. And he's like, oh, this is this is a wonderful memory. Uh, you know, one of the best memories of my life. And he sees in the memory that he arrives into the hospital room seconds after his child was born. And he says, no, 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 no. I was there. I held him. I remember this. And this is such an important moment. But the screen is showing him something else. And he's like, wait a minute. And he starts questioning it. Did I come in after? I thought I thought I, I, I cut the cord. Did I cut the cord? Or is that my other kid? And he starts questioning all these things. Because if you tell a story enough, uh, you start to believe it, even if it's not true. And, uh, and to me, something like that, which is in all our pasts, uh, a, a major event might not have gone down exactly as we experienced it. And to me, that, that's, that's scary. Seems very zen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, it does, yes. Right? <laughs> Present moment. <laughs> <laughs> when you do something like this, how, I mean, how far can you go with some of these ideas in a sense? Like, where do, where do you really know? Because everyone's looking for an answer, right? And, and how do you do a book that's a thriller? Everybody wants a happy ending, especially in fiction, or at least a resolve of some sort. So it, how do you achieve that when 
we don't really know what's happened happened. Well, right. Well, which um, in this book, it, it all depends if you believe what he sees on the screen is the actual truth. If such a machine existed that without a doubt showed us exactly how we lived our lives, then then that would be the truth. So if he sees all these memories, realizes what his life was really like, and accepts that as the truth, then he could use that knowledge and change his present and his future. So does he find out uh, who killed his wife? Does he find out, um, you know, uh, what his relationship with his kids is really like? And, and if he doesn't like what he sees, can he fix it? So there is, in this book in particular, a, a way out to have a happy ending. With, with the false memory motif, how do you keep track of everything in the story? Do you, do you have a, a method for doing that? Do you use note cards? Do you have a computer program? Or how, how do you stay organized? Everything goes in a, uh, a notebook uh, that I have uh, next to me at all times. Um, I'm not one to um, plot in crazy detail. Uh, I always have uh, my my beginning and end. Um, I have the major uh, scenes that I want to get across, but everything else in between uh, tends to come as I'm writing and I go, Oh, this would be a great place to take the character or this, you know, this will be an exciting scene to put in. Um, and then once I get that, uh, I always jot down in my notebook, what happened, what took place. So then I could always go back and reference it and say, Oh wait, he had this memory. This will affect this later on. So uh, I, I tend to edit as I go as well. So this, it all uh, meshes together uh, pretty well for me. Well, how do you know you wrote, the notebooks, <laughs> you, like, you know, maybe your memory was was not right. Maybe someone else wrote that. There you go. Uh, well, you know, like uh, so many times I'll come across old notebooks of mine and I'll look at story ideas or just lines that I wrote down and, I, and I'll stare at it for minutes going, I don't remember this in the slightest. Like, mm. and, and, and so it's a little scary. And um you know, I have all the journals and diaries and I haven't even opened those up because I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to find. And there's going to be, be things that I remember that I don't want to remember because whenever I tend to write in my journals, uh, I tended to uh, be in a in a depressed state when I wrote those. And, and you know, if I forgot those, then maybe that's better. And, and that's another thing is, is that with memory, we, uh, there's so many negatives that happen to us that we forget about that in order to move on, you, you shut them away and opening that up, you, you're going to see, oh, one time when I was in school, I was horrible to that kid. I said this comment and I bullied this kid. And I don't remember those details right now. And I don't want to, because if I do, it, it's gonna, it's gonna wreck me. And, um, you know, so, so, uh, there, there's, Pluses and, and minuses. So I always ask this of, of a lot of the um, speculative fiction authors. What's your definition of speculative fiction? Oh, that's a good question. Because I, I, I think my definition would be when you take reality and you bend it a little bit to, uh, to get your story across. So my, my uh, Scarecrow as a Gun is, is very realistic. Um, 
but it has the slightest hint of sci-fi, which is uh, the box that could read your memories. And I mean, there are some other very small elements uh, that are mentioned toward the end of the book, but otherwise that's the speculative bent. It's just that one piece. Otherwise it's, it's all realistic. How, how do you, how do you draw that line? Like um, that's, it's interesting to me to, you know, so you have life as it is um, in its fairly modern day and everything's real except for, let's say that box um, and do you throw in some other things too, like a dinosaur or something? Or <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I uh, no dinosaurs, but I do like to do. Um, there are some type of uh, psychedelic parts, I guess you could call it, uh, toward the end of the book, where you don't know what's real and what isn't, where his mind is really flayed and and and, and destroyed and. It's almost like he's hallucinating. And in reality, he doesn't know what's real and what's not anymore. Forget about watching his memories in the screen. His real life becomes blurred. So um, I, I think it just makes it more interesting to me in the types of books I want to read and write. Uh, when if you don't want to do the full jump into hard genre, hard science fiction or fantasy, but you want it mixed in. You don't want everyday life as it is either. Uh, speculative fiction is, is probably best. I, I definitely find it most enjoyable. I, I've got to um, think that um, going through the process of putting together this book um, with so much thought toward uh, memory and some of your memories and then other people's and, and the way your characters go through all this tragedy and stuff in a sense with all of that at the end of it when you finally get it kind of finished to be published I've I've got to think that that plays a toll on you as well it's got to have changed you somewhat in the way you look at your own life well it definitely it definitely does And, and the thing that makes me feel good is that a lot of people who have read the book whether I know them personally or or um, I see reviews online, whether they liked it or not, they all come away saying it made me question things. It made me look at my own memories, at my own past. And that's all I could hope to do as, as, a, as an author. Um, and because now you're on my playing field, which is this is how I feel all the time. I'm constantly questioning and constantly trying to look at the bigger picture. Um, and this book, you know, it, it's something, uh, memory was something I've always grappled with. But when you when you dive this deep into it, it just, it, it, it expands it even more. So, so now there's nothing I could do where I'm not relating it to uh, some type of theme from the book, some type of memory, uh, and I'm always making jokes to my wife, and is this real, and is this not? Did that really happen? So, yeah, it, it's in my day-to-day from, from now on. Wow. Um, what do you think um, for yourself um, when you pick up a book and you read it? What makes a good, let's say, speculative fiction or science fiction or anything like that? What makes a good book for you? Um, 
Hmm. Definitely, I, I need the writing uh, to be elevated. Uh, that That's important to me. Uh, I, I want to be moved by the language. Uh, one of my favorite authors is like um, Don DeLillo. Um, uh, Jennifer Egan, I like a lot. Uh, authors like that, that have a gift with language. To me, uh, that's the first thing that has to stick out. And then after Dave, that... Dave Martino in there too, or... <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to say yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's okay. Um, no, but I'll be glad to check Dave out. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, language, and then after that, it's um, it, it's taking me, making me see something in life that that I haven't already noticed, or if I have noticed it, making me uh, see it in a different way. I, I want, I don't. I don't like as much light reading. I like to really be immersed. So do you think that older science fiction and, and that sort of genre compared to modern day um, science fiction, because I, I say that because nowadays, um, you know, it's speculative fiction. There's all these different versions. We have mm-hmm. so many different mini genres, you know, that back in the old day it was just science fiction or horror. You know, like right. there wasn't there wasn't the classification. But do you like older stories better, like some of the classics, uh, or do you think modern day writers are doing a pretty good job? You know, I, I go back and forth. I, you know, I don't just read modern uh, authors. I, I do like to go back and, um, you know, uh, you know, like Philip K. Dick was uh, one of my favorites. Uh, I read every single Vonnegut, um, uh, Stephen King. I read a lot of. So uh, I do like. I mean, and I guess you could go older farther back than that and, and go, you know, H.G. Wells and, and Lovecraft. So uh, to me, I mean, they're just as good as, as modern authors, if not better. So uh, I, I could go anywhere on the spectrum. Yeah. It was just that being a teacher. Um, when, when, when you were teaching, do you find that uh, students or younger people today or nowadays, do you think that they're um, as – good at writers or at, as good at language, let's say, or uh, scripting, let's say, as, as people, let's say, even 20, 30 years ago? Well, it's hard to say because I haven't taught in 20 years. But oh, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, from, from my experience when I was teaching, um, you know, uh, uh, like it's always been, there are kids who are completely turned off and don't want to learn or don't want to read or don't want to write. And then there are the kids who you could tell they, they cling to it and, and this is for them and they, they really thrive with it. And I, I think that that's the story of how things were, you know, uh, 50 years ago. And that's how it's going to be 50 years from now. I think uh, there are always going to be people who are passionate about it and, and people who, who couldn't care less. Did you take anything from your teaching career into your writing, whether it's um, how you approach writing uh, or through, you know, maybe your process? Sure. I, I, um, the thing that helped me the most was teaching the classics over and over and over again. Hmm. Because every time you read it and you're, you're talking to the kids about it, you're picking up something new. And... You know, most of us, when we read a book, we'll read it once and move on and, and never read it again. And when, when, when you study something over and over again, you start to see how they did it. 
you, you start to understand why it's so great on, on, mm-hmm. on the, the, the smallest of levels. And I think that really helped with my writing um, because, you know, if, if, if I'm doing Gatsby or Great Expectations or Lord of the Flies, Catch on the Right, whatever, I would have read those only once. But now I had to go yeah. back to them. And, and I was teaching at five periods a day. And I, I just got such a renewed appreciation for it. And it, it really left its mark on me. Well, hopefully it healed. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's one I don't want to heal, you know? <laughs> well, and, and so when you're writing young adult um, fiction and things like that, what would be the biggest difference between writing that as compared to something like Scarecrow? What I noticed is uh, when, when I write um, children's books, the I always want to relate it to something that's going on today or something that uh, people have to deal with. And I noticed with my children's books, it's on a much broader scale. Um, so uh, like Rose Coffin... Uh, was uh, a metaphor for for uh, uh, the suppression of women's voices and um, and about uh, um, you know trying to uh, find a purpose in life. So these are these are broad topics that I would tackle uh, in in my children's books. Um, but with my adult books, uh, I I zero in on something. So so memory i just take it and i go all the way down with the microscope as far as it can go and i analyze every aspect of it so it's not as broad uh so i noticed that's the difference with the kids books uh i tackle big uh top topics in a broad way and and um with adult books i do it uh on on a very surface uh you know under uh the heaviest of microscopes so um, let's see. Now, are, are you doing social media? Or are you interactive with readers and people? Or do you have a website? How do people find you? Uh, I do. Uh, uh, I have a website, mpkozlowski.com. Um, I am on Twitter and uh, Instagram, mpkozlowski, uh, at mpkozlowski. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I, I, I always get emails um, through my website from you know, people who read my children's books uh, 10 years ago and th- th- they're still writing to me about it. And it- it- it's such a great, uh, um, you know, thing to receive and to read these emails, how, how much I touch them. And I-, I hope, you know, people continue to write to me, uh, you know, to-, to contact me on Twitter. Uh, so I'm just now starting to build my uh, adult audience. So I don't know if they'll be sending me emails, but hopefully, you know, they connect uh, through Instagram or, or Twitter. That'd be cool. Yeah, they do. They're just a little bit meaner, but right. <laughs> they're still there. They, you know, um, of course, we'll have your website up on ours as well. So people can find you easily. One Thank click, you. you know, and stuff. Um, wow. So um, are, are you going to do a sequel to this memory or are you just going to kind of carry on from after your, after you know, uh, Scarecrow is a one and done, so uh, that one's all finished. I'm already moving on to the next things. Okay, well, that's you know, it's, it's always good to know. And um, 
Well, fantastic. It's been interesting. We have um, your book, everything up, so people can find you. And uh, did did uh, the COVID interfere with your sort of writing any, like emotionally or stressful? Or It, it was stressful because, um, you know, uh, my kids were home. And I was like, you know, they, they, they were uh, learning on their laptops and I had to basically basically uh, be a, like a second teacher in the classroom. So I was very stressed. You know, I, I lost a lot of writing. And again, I had to adjust and try to find a new way to, to uh, get my ideas down. And I started uh, handwriting uh, a book on, on, on pads. And, and, you know, uh, that's the thing. Once you become a parent, you have, you have to be a lot more creative in, in finding time and, and ways to uh do what you need to yeah yeah it's kind of what goes on right yeah anybody you want to work with Mm, you know uh no one in particular but i i would love to you know be involved in like anthologies or uh you know i'm always looking for opportunities so if, if anybody's out there looking for a writer um please hit me up uh um i'd love to uh get more of my work out there. Well, fantastic. Well, again, I, I appreciate you being on the show. And uh, the book we're talking about is your new one called Scarecrow Has a Gun. And that's Michael Poslowski. Thank you for yes. being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Michael. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.